0: Welcome to the Christchurch Winston-Salem podcast. To learn more about Christchurch, visit us at Christchurchws.org. Subscribe to our podcast at our website, iTunes, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening. Please remain standing and pray with me. Holy Spirit of God, unless you come and touch the preaching of the Word, It will be a dead word this morning. Unless you come and fill me as the preacher, your people will not be fed. Unless you open hearts by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, no truth can be received. Lord, we come as totally dependent people upon you this morning. We know you are a faithful God. You love to give good gifts to your children. And so faithful and good God, give the good gift of your word to your people this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, if you're like me, uh, your body has stopped producing vitamin D because of the lack of sunlight, and uh, your seasonal affective disorder is probably in high gear. I'm ready. I'm ready for the gray to go away, for the sunlight to come. Spring can't get here fast enough. But in the meantime, in the meantime, I want you to know something encouraging and uplifting this morning. I want you to hear something I want you to hear good news, gospel, something encouraging and uplifting. I want you to hear the true meaning of grace. What do we mean by grace? I want you to hear that this morning. Are you ready for grace? Here it comes. This is supposed to be uplifting now. Ready? You are absolutely unnecessary. I am absolutely unnecessary. The entire universe, the cosmos is totally unnecessary. None of us, none of this world needed to exist. And do you want to know why that strange statement is good news? Well, it's, why should that, why should our, uh, the unnecessariness of our existence be uplifting, encouraging? Well, it's because since all of this is unnecessary, this is what this means. Everything is sheer, ready? Sheer gift. Everything is sheer gift. Everything, every one of us, is an expression of God's super abundant gift giving love. You are sheer gift. All that we experience is gift. We exist not out of necessity. God did not need you and I. He's perfectly he's perfectly fulfilled in in, in himself. God doesn't need any one of us. He created us out of sheer unnecessary love. You and I have been loved into existence. Everything that exists comes from our gift giving God. This is what it says about our creation in James chapter one, verse 16 and following. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers and sisters. Every good gift, And every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, who with, who, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. God doesn't change. Of his own will, of his own, yeah, I know it has, I know it has two syllables for me. It's still W-I-L-L, will of his, it's a preacher word, isn't it? Of his own will, he brought us forth. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So by our creation, we are sheer gift. And not only is our creation pure gift, so is our redemption. And you probably know this verse by heart. For God so loved the world, this is John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave, that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God so loved the world that he gave. And it is in our salvation through Jesus Christ that we see the character of God's gift-giving We see that his gift giving is radically generous and lavishly sacrificial. The cross, looking to the cross of Christ, we see the kind of love that God has for us. It is radically generous, it is self sacrificing. And here's the truth that tells us something about who we are to be. So we've got here's who God is, and so here's who we are to be in the core of our beings. If we are created in the image of God, this gift-giving God, then you and I, if we're made in his image and likeness, as it says we are in Genesis, we are by definition created to be givers like God. And we are not, if we are not givers, we are not fulfilling the very purpose for our creation. We are created to be givers like God. But more than that, When we are born again, when we've accepted Jesus Christ by faith, the Holy Spirit has come into our lives, transformed us, renewed us. We've been born from above, as it says in John chapter 3. We've been born again by accepting Jesus Christ. Not only are we gods by His creation, through the new birth, you and I are children of God. We are made children of God. And as God's children, just like you share the attributes of your parents... They you look something like them more than likely. All right. We just did the uh, I just did ancestry.com. I was a little scared to take it. I didn't know if I was going to find out I was I wanted to make sure I was related to everybody I was supposed to be related to. I I am thanks be to God. But it's, but because I'm in that family, I share those characteristics. And you are the same way. We are the same way as God's children. We share in his attributes of being, we are to share in his attribute of being lavish, self-sacrificial, radically generous givers. So if joyful, here's the point. If joyful, love-motivated, radical generosity, if giving is not a part of life, We are missing a fundamental part of being human in general and of being a disciple of Jesus in particular. And at Christ Church, this is one of our guiding values, and we call it radical generosity. It's rooted in who God is and who God has made us to be. So this morning, I want to open the scriptures to help us understand, to become the kind of givers that God has created us to be. Now, I want you to know that if you're a guest here at Christ Church this morning, I've been exactly where you are. Back, uh, back in the day when I was uh, far away from the Lord, when I was a backslidden Christian, oh, yes, I was. I'm not telling you all about that, but I was. Whenever Lisa could get me to go to church, do you know what was always the subject of the sermon that Sunday? It was always about giving. It's like, all these people want is my money. That's what I thought. This is, although that certainly is a part, the the giving of our finances is certainly a part of this. I'm talking about something even more basic than that. I'm talking about what it means to be created in the image of a gift-giving God and and then to be born again, to be made like God in our character because we are His children becoming lavish, self-sacrificial givings. So I want to open the scriptures to talk about what kind of givers God has created us to be. Because you and I, listen, there is no way to talk about following Jesus without talking about giving. God so loved the world that He gave. There's no way to talk about Jesus without talking about giving. And so I make no apologies. I'm not afraid to speak about this. Because if we are not hearing preaching and teaching about giving, we're not getting the full gospel. And we need to hear the full gospel of Jesus Christ. So you're not going to get a form to fill out this morning. Don't worry. (laughs) You're not going to get a pledge card. What you are going to get is a call to discipleship, general genuine Christian discipleship. This is a subject that I am personally passionate about, and it is a key component of my own discipleship, and I am so happy that this is a part of my discipleship. This has been a tremendous blessing in my life. And in order for us to live out lives of radical generosity, we need to embrace what author Randy Alcorn calls the treasure principle. The treasure principle. And he gets that, that phrase from the text of Matthew's gospel that we just heard Father David read this morning. This is what Jesus said, okay? Listen to what Jesus said. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Now listen, what did he just say? He didn't just say, don't ever lay up treasures for yourself. That is not what Jesus teaches. Listen to what he says. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Here is something. If you want to write something down, this is an important point. This is the treasure principle. You can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. You can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. And I want us to take a look at a church that modeled this kind of kingdom principle and apply it to our lives. We heard about that church this morning. It's in 2 Corinthians. I want you to turn back with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. It's a chapter before the one we just heard read on page 967 in your pew Bible. You can turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We'll start in the first verse. In this passage that I'm about to read to you and that you're going to read along with me, In this chapter, Paul tells the Corinthian church about a sister church, another church in Macedonia, part of what we would know as Greece in Macedonia, and that this Macedonian church was radically generous. As a matter of fact, though, those Macedonian Christians were the very last people you would think of as being generous because they were a persecuted church. They they were a persecuted church? They were enduring severe affliction, and probably as a part of, as the result of that persecution, they were an extremely poor church. That was a poor church. They were poe. Couldn't, re, couldn't afford OR. They were just poe. <laughs> but listen to what Paul says about that church. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. So Paul, what is Paul talking about? This is a passage about grace. The grace of God, the lavish outpouring of God's love and unmerited favor. The grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction... Okay, they're an afflicted church. Listen to what the next phrase is. Their abundance of joy. Those are not terms we use together. In their severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord. Listen to what Paul says, begging us, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. So here's what we take from this passage. Are you ready? from the Macedonian church? Giving is not the luxury of the the uh, giving is not the luxury of the rich it is the privilege of the poor giving is not the luxury of the rich it is the privilege of the poor years and years ago right after the former soviet union had collapsed i went to work for a few weeks under the auspices of the Armenian Apostolic Church. That is the indigenous church in Armenia. Armenia is the oldest Christian country in the world. It was the very first country to accept the Christian faith nationally. The the year was 301 A.D. But during 70 years of atheistic Soviet communism, they tried to stamp out the Christian faith in Armenia. And finally, after communism fell, I went and worked with that indigenous church to help re-evangelize the Armenian people, to bring the gospel back to a new generation of Armenians. Now, Armenia was an ex- in an extremely difficult financial situation. Th- just a few years before, they'd suffered a massive earthquake that had ruined their infrastructure, had uh, demolished their nuclear, uh, their, uh, their ability to create nuclear power. That's where their power came from. Uh, electricity was very scarce. And then their Muslim neighbors, the Azerbaijanis, the Azeris, took advantage of their situation and attacked Armenia and attacked uh, an Armenian enclave in a place called Nagorno-Karabakh. This is so much uh, information. is way more than you need. But here's the point. is they had suffered a natural disaster... They'd been in a war and they had just lost their former way of government and they were trying to rebuild their country. They were extremely poor. And do you know what we experienced time after time after time was from those people who were coming to faith again in Jesus Christ, they were the Macedonian church. Folks, I got to tell you what, you know that chickweed that grows in your garden that you can't get rid of? Thank you, English settlers for bringing chickweed to North America and the 1600s. It's everywhere. I can't get rid of it. And it's in my garden, and I'm going to be pulling it out all springtime, and I have to stay ahead of it all summertime long. You think that's just a weed? Those people were so poor. Listen to what I'm about to say. They would put it in salt water and put it in brine and pickle it and then put it on a piece of bread to eat. That's how poor they were. They had torn all the floorboard, all the the flooring up out of the schools to burn for firewood to keep from freezing in the wintertime. And time after time after time, there's this radical expression of joyful giving. Every time I went into one of their homes, we were in a village. We went to one of their schools. The teachers hadn't been paid for months. They were still teaching classes. Students were doing great. They were, they were, they were giving of themselves in this difficult, difficult time. I went into the uh, home of this one woman, an older woman in the village. She was, uh, I was there with the Armenian pastor and, and I was there and my buddy Brian was with me and she was, she just, so she was so full of joy about about her faith in Jesus Christ that she wanted to give us something. She had nothing to give. She turned around and took a, a base relief bronze plaque off the wall of an art. It represented an Armenian folktale. And she gave me that bronze, bronze plaque. That's all she had to give. And I didn't want her to give it to me, but she made me take it. And it's in my kitchen to this day out of her severe poverty an overflowing of abundance. Folks, that made me ashamed. And she was full of joy, but I was ashamed that I had been so stingy in my life. Where does that kind of joy come from? It comes from living out the fact that we were created to be givers. When we live out our created purpose, when we live out the truth that we are God's children, the result of that is an abundance of joy. We are most like God when we are giving in love. We are most like God when we are giving in love. The Macedonian church begged, it says, they begged Paul for the favor of giving. That is 180 degrees out of how we look at life when God's grace has truly been received, it makes us generous people. Genuine conversion to Jesus Christ reorients our loves and our resources and finances towards God's kingdom because you cannot be fully converted until your pocketbook gets converted too. When we live as givers, there are blessings that flow over into our lives. And the first blessing is that we feel the pleasure of God poured out towards us. Mark is an attorney in Kentucky, I was just reading about, who gives away half of his income each year. He said, my pursuit of money drove me away from God. Mark says that since, he says, but since I have been giving it to him, everything's changed. In fact, giving has brought me closer to God than anything else. It is a part of our spiritual disciplines. God made you and I for a purpose. He created us to be givers, and when we give, we feel his pleasure. Giving jumpstarts our relationship with God. It opens our fists So that we can receive, you can't receive what God wants to give you with closed fists. When we give, we open our fists and we are able to receive what God has to give us. Here's what Jesus said. Remember in Matthew chapter six, we just read it. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. But do you know what we think? We think where our heart is, there our treasure will be. But listen what Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Listen to what that means. It means our heart follows our treasure. Do you want to do you want to fill your spiritual life rekindled? You want to have your heart catch on fire again for Jesus? Then put your treasure where you want your heart to be. Your heart will follow your treasure. If your treasure is in the kingdom, that's where your heart will be too. It is always true. We can depend on it. Our Lord Jesus told us. We are super abundantly. We, but when we do this, another blessing is that God super abundantly meets our needs. You cannot outgive God. You cannot outgive God. Here is what it says in Proverbs chapter three, verses 19. And by the way, can you can I ask you to, to do something for me right this minute? Can you just for a, a just for the remainder of this message decide to believe the Bible? Listen to what it says. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce, then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. God blesses us when we give. He blesses us like this, not so that we can spend more on ourselves, but so that we can give more to His kingdom purposes. I've seen this in my own life. God has taught me a lesson over the last 40-plus years. Uh, my, it was, By the way, it was my wife, Lisa, who was the one that said, we need to tithe, and we began tithing when we were in poverty, and I said, you're crazy. That doesn't make any sense. As soon as God gives me some money, I'll give him some tithe. And, uh, but, but instead, I, I, I did what my wife said. Every time I do that, there's a blessing. <laughs> so many blessings. And you know what? Um, then as God blessed us, we were able to be more generous. And you know what God does when you're more generous? He blesses you more so that you can be more generous with that. We serve a limitless, infinite God. Now, listen, I want to just stop right now and say, some of you, the devil is telling this right now. It's like, you know, they're just after your money. Here's what i if you're that person, listen to me. I don't, we do, Christchurch does not, if you think that, Please don't give us anything, but I triple dog dare you to be generous somewhere else. That's right. I jumped all the way to triple dog. I didn't even give you, I dare you or double dare you. I triple dog dare you to give generously somewhere because it's not about us. It's about living into your created purpose, into the generosity that you were made for so that you can experience supernatural blessing and abundance that flows from God. He is infinitely infinitely resourceful. God blesses blesses us like this. He blesses us financially not to raise our standard of living, but to raise our standard of giving. God blesses us financially not to raise our standard of living, but to raise our standard of giving. R.G. Letourneau was a Texan by choice. He was born in Vermont and he came to his senses and he moved to Texas. He was an inventor and a manufacturer of earth moving equipment. He knew about moving stuff around. And eventually, in his life, he reached the point where he was giving 90% of his income, nine zero, 90% of his income to kingdom work. There's universities that he built, hospitals that he built, all to the glory of God. On his his tombstone, this is what it says, uh, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. That's on his tombstone. And so... He said this about his giving. He said, I shovel out the money and God shovels it back to me, but God has a bigger shovel. I shovel out the money, but God shovels it back to me. God has a bigger shovel. And finally, giving comes comes when we have an eternal perspective and it reinforces. This is one of the blessings of being a giver like God. It reinforces an eternal perspective. You know, I I hear this statement occasionally, you know, so-and-so is so heavenly-minded, they're no earthly good. I almost know nobody that's true of. Most of us are so worldly-minded, we're no heavenly good. But when we give it reinforces an eternal perspective. We are we're going to spend we are going to be spending our eternity someplace, either in the new heavens or the new earth of God's kingdom or eternally separated from God. But most of us, even though we are going to be somewhere for eternity, many times even believers will live their lives as if they are practical atheists, certainly when it comes to their finances. We think of money and possessions as if there really is no final judgment, as if there really is no God or no way to store up treasures in the kingdom. But when we realize that eternity is our home, it changes the way that we treat our possessions now. We will live radically generous lives in this world, but the world will see it. Here's the thing. When we do live radically generous lives... The world without Christ sees that kind of generosity as squandering our money, squandering our resources. But we're not squandering it. We're putting it where rust can't destroy it, where moth can't eat it up, where thieves can't break in and steal. There is an eternal perspective. So why don't we do this? Well, the reality is, unfortunately, church... um, Much of the Christian church does not live into this kind of radical generosity. One author reports that the wealth accumulated by church-going people, and do you know what there is a plague of in the church? There is a plague of storage units. You know what storage units are for? Stuff you don't need, usually. You know, um, I'm, I'm guilty you know, moving stuff out of the shed and up to the attic. After a while, I'll move it out of the attic and back to the shed. I'm not using that stuff. I haven't some of that stuff I haven't touched in 30 years. But I'm not letting it go. Oh no. Listen to what this author says. The wealth accumulated by church-going people has reached record levels. And despite unprecedented opportunities for global ministry. American Christians give proportionately less today to the church than we did during the Great Depression. That's that's astonishing, and it's heartbreaking. Here are some reasons why we don't give. We don't give, first of all, if Jesus Christ has not really changed my life, if I've not experienced the new birth, if I've not been born again, then... He hasn't transformed my life. I'm not going to be a giver. I don't know the giving God. And we need to call upon him so that he will come into our lives and transform us. But I think one of the main reasons we don't give is because we think of God as, hear me, we think about God as a taking God and not as a giving God. We think of God as a taking God and not a giving God. Listen again to the passage we heard read by Tom this morning from 2 Corinthians chapter 9. This is the point. This is chapter 9, verse 6. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now, I want, I want somebody who is a good preacher to explain this. So let me quote John Piper. John Piper says of this passage, beyond the bountiful giving of verse six and the cheerful giving of verse seven, a heart that looks to God and sees a giver, a supply, a heart is uh, behind those verses is a heart that looks up to God looks up to God and sees what a giver a supplier a helper when this person looks to God he feels replenished not drained just like the literal translation of verse 6 implies this giving is based on blessing God's blessing Even when this person hears a command, be a cheerful giver. Even when this person hears a command coming from God, he hears it as a hopeful gift, not a depleting demand. Let me ask you, Christian, do you hear God's commands as a hopeful gift or do you hear them as a depleting demand? Even his word of command is a hopeful gift. Like when a three-year-old starts toddling towards the street and his mother shouts from the window, Barnabas, stop! The bountiful, cheerful givers have grown up enough in their relationship with God to know that his shouts are all love. (coughs) Barnabas, stop! Ben, don't go in the road! His shouts... His commands are all love. We also don't give when we are walking in the flesh and not in the Holy Spirit. And we need to ask ourselves, am I living in the flesh or living in the Spirit? Am I Lord of my life? Am I walking in disobedience to Jesus Christ? Is my flesh ruling my life or is the Holy Spirit Ruling my life. This is what Hugh Halter writes Nothing good of the Spirit ever comes naturally or easily. Nothing good of the Spirit ever comes naturally or easily. I want to stop right here and correct a misconception. Please listen. I'm going to. Is it okay if I use the Bible some more? I'm going to stop right here and correct a misconception that many of us have. Here it is, and I deal with this constantly. Please listen, uh, especially um, when we're young. We deal with this misconception. We think that spontaneity equals authenticity. We've got the this, I call it the cult of authenticity, all right? So we think that for something to be genuine, for something to be authentic, it has to come spontaneously, just erupt out of me in a, a spontaneous moment. Here's what, this is what Hugh Halter says. i want to read this to you and then I'm going to come back to what it says in Second Peter. Nothing good of the Spirit ever comes naturally or easily. This is why we call some things second nature, because our first nature, our spontaneous nature is not usually directed towards God. In fact, it's our flesh. This is what St. Peter writes. He says, And this is Saint Peter uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5. Please listen. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. Listen to what he just said. For this very reason, make every effort. And he gives a list of virtues. Here's the thing: all virtue is something that doesn't come natural to us it's something that by the grace of God we make an effort to receive it and this is why we are not givers is because we think hey it's got to just uh, my generosity just has to erupt spontaneously nothing good like that will erupt spontaneously it is a virtue that is practiced calling upon the grace of God to do it it's authentic because it's true not because you just felt like it in that moment do you hear me We think that it's, uh, the authenticity equals, it must come from spontaneity. No, authenticity just means it lines up with objective truth. It lines up with the word of God. That's authentic. You don't have to feel like it for it to be authentic. If, if you live into this, it's authentic. It's real. It's genuine. So please take spontaneity as the source of authenticity out behind the shed and put it down like old yeller. It's applying the truth of God's Word that makes it authentic, not because it was spontaneous. This morning, I want to give you the training wheels for giving. Now, what are training wheels for? Training wheels give us the confidence to start riding a bicycle. But the goal is finally to take the training wheels off and to leave them behind. If you're still, if you 30 years old and you've got training wheels, there's something wrong. It's where we start, not where we finish. The training wheels, the most basic step in giving is to give a time, 10% of our income. Again, if you think this is about some church, some preacher digging into your pocket for his church, then in the name of Jesus, don't give it. You give it, give it directly to the food pantry. Give it directly to, uh, d- to Samaritan's Purse. Give it rec- directly to a, 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 a group that is caring for persecuted Christians. If, but I, I just dare you, though, to be as generous as you, th- as you say you would be if it wasn't some preacher digging around in your pocket. Because most of the time, that's just my greed talking, my selfishness talking. Give it somewhere and see God bless you for this. Our training wills, the most basic step is to give 10% of our income. Now, some people object that the, that the tithe is an Old Testament concept, and, and that's, I guess in one sense, that's true. And I tell those people that's right. The New Testament concept is a hundred percent. So you can choose do you want to be Old Testament or New Testament? But seriously, again, Randy Alcorn asked this. It seems fair to ask. Um, seems fair to ask. God, do you re- do you really expect less of me, who has the Holy Spirit within me, and I live in the wealthiest society in human history? It- do you really expect less of me than you did of the poorest Israelite? Yeah, it was an Old Testament principle. It's training wheels. So tithing is where we start. Lisa and I started tithing when we were literally in poverty and God has blessed us. The tithe is not where we start. Stop, it is the place where we start. It's a starting point. Um, And I have to tell you, it is such a joy to, to go beyond that first, those training wheels and to give abundantly above that because God is blessed. So before we pay anything else, my wife and I do tithe. We, we call this storehouse tithing. Malachi chapter 3, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. This is where I worship. This is my church home. This is where I'm going to bring that tithe, that first 10%. We give it to Christ Church. And then we give to other ministries beyond that 10%. Humanly speaking, there will never be a good time for you to start tithing. Never. If you're waiting for the stars to align... If you're waiting for the cosmic convergence or the supermoon or whatever it's going to be for you to start tithing, it will never happen because it's not a matter of money, it is a matter of trust. Either God can do what he says he can do or we should just pre- stop pretending that we really believe this. What I withhold from God when I don't give my tithe is it's not my finances, it's my love, it's my heart. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let's direct our treasure to God so that our hearts will end up there too. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Thanks for listening. To learn more about Christchurch, visit us at Christchurchws.org. Subscribe to our podcast at our website, iTunes, or wherever you listen to podcasts.